Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We want to give a special shout-out to Shane Arrington for contributing to our Patreon account. Hey, Shane, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, man. Uh, Shane is one of our oldest listeners, and we definitely appreciate his contribution to our Patreon page. Don't forget to check out the Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Follow us on Twitter at good underscore trash. Send us an email at good trash genre cast at gmail.com. And don't forget to review and rate us on iTunes. Thanks again, listener. We got a Black Hawk down. We got a Black Hawk down. Down, 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 down. Good Trash Genre Cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about alive? Hmm? You want to know what got these scars? Can you spell it? D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. I have got to give me one of these. Luke, you're a wolf. Come on. What are these? What are you doing with these? Okay, I get it. I don't know who gave you these. Who taught you about these? Learned it from you, okay? I learned it from watching you! We can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's two against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you? I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. The last two guys, I always win. Are you, uh, you done this before? It's getting late. Remember, you wanted this. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. In this case, because it's such a small film. Tiny. This week's film is The Guest, a uh, film about a uh, dinner party in which uh, race relationships are wrestled with in crazy ways. I know what movie you're talking about. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think that's another movie. It with, could perhaps With Sidney Poitier. It, the great Cindy Portier. That's the one where they, he says, call me Mr. Tibbs, right? No. I, I know. I know. <laughs> All Cindy Portier movies are the same movie. <laughs> oh, no. Just running together. Yes. Uh, to Sir with Love is what we're talking about, dear listener. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but this week's film is The Guest is an Adam Wingard joint, and we're happy, happy to be talking about that. But we must identify the voices that are speaking directly to your brain via the magic of your uh, MP3 generic multimedia playing device. To my right, sir, in the bathroom, if you would. Hi, my name is Dalton Stewart, and yes, uh, I look just like David when I come out of the shower. <laughs> I can verify that. Thank you very much. To my left, ma'am, if you would. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and I'm a soldier, man. I like guns. I am Arthur Gordon, and I am done with my breakfast. My name is Dustin Sells, and... Sure, Dalton. That could happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we are so glad to be talking to the guest with you all. Um, we're going to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and there will be spoilerific spoiler ridges, and we'll find out if race relations are in some way uh, 
meted out and somehow normalized throughout the course of this film. But before that, we're going to give a synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater and or cinema. And uh, after that point, we will have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. And then, spoilers ahoy, we are going to get into analysis territory, which will require us to spoil the ending of the film. You have been warned. Voice of the Dollar Theater, Mr. Dalton what say you? A soldier introduces himself to the Peterson family, claiming to be a friend of their son who died in action. After the young man is welcomed into their home, a series of accidental deaths seem to be connected to his presence. That gives away way too much of the plot. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I don't care for that synopsis at all. That is really spoilery. I agree. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? I like this movie a lot. I think it does a lot of really cool things. Adam Wingard is just a top-notch director. And I think his career is going to just go some really cool places. Uh, I love the drama here. I love the visual aesthetic, the colors, the scoring. It's just a great film, and I, I really enjoy the way it all just comes together. Well, Miss Alexander Bohannon, um, what would you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? This film's two thumbs up for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like it's a great soft launch into Shocktober, um, as this is going to be our last kind of, quote, normal movie until we get done with our horror palooza. Um, the aesthetic of this film is great. I really enjoy all the choices. I think that um, Matthew from Downton Abbey, in his most un-Matthew from Downton Abbey role, um, I can't remember the actor's name. It's not on the tip of my tongue. But he does really, really great as Daniel in this film. Um, David. He does really, really great as David in this film. Dan Stevens is the uh, performer's name, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, yes, and then, of course, we have the actress, and again, no name here, but she was also in this year's Th This Follows. Um, Makai Monroe. Thank you very much, I just Mr. happen to Stewart. have IMDb up. Oh, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't just have all bad. these names on the Like, holy shit. All right. Um, anyway, so she was really great in this film as the female lead. Um, I feel like this film does suffer from the normal horror slash thriller contrivances of the kids know everything and the adults know nothing and we're going to solve the crime and save the day. And then, of course, it doesn't really try to subvert any typical film tropes uh, regarding like horror and thriller type films, even though it could. Well, it does a yeah, little bit, but not yeah, the ending. Yeah, I mean, with... with with your next, I think Adam Wingard really set out to do a lot of stuff with genre tropes. I think with this, he was more interested in, in applying the tropes of one genre to another genre. I think he he took your typical uh, stalker uh, horror movie and applied them to a, a fairly generic action thriller, uh, which I find very interesting. But yeah, I agree, Alex. He didn't do quite as much with, with tropes as he did with your next. Well, thank you very much. Mr. Dalton what do you say in terms of review? I think it's a fabulous movie. Uh, I agree that it does suffer from a thriller-slash-horror problem, not with the kids so much. Uh, I think the third act is what suffers. In a lot of horror and thriller movies, the mystery is so much more interesting than the payoff, and that's just something that happens. Not knowing is scarier and more interesting, and then when you find out what's going on, uh, it's kind of, eh. And they do a good job of not telling you anything more than you need to know in this film. They They... They explain enough of what's going on that you're not totally in the dark, but they leave enough up to imagination that I think it still is a little fun. But yeah, once you find out what David's about, what's really going on, uh, it does kind of suck some of the air out of the movie because the the not knowing what David's deal is is, is so interesting. 
uh, and is so much fun. Like it's probably one of the most fun things about this movie is never knowing if you can trust David or not, which is something that I, I like a lot. Um, is one of the aspects of the film I like the most. But obviously, we can't talk about this film without talking about the amazing soundtrack, which is. Uh, not a score. Uh, there is some additional scoring, but the score is primarily pre-recorded music used as score. Um, something that you know you see a lot in the works of uh, Quentin Tarantino is taking existing music and developing it into a proper score for the film, uh, kind of a, a jukebox score, if you will. Uh, I, I absolutely adore the soundtrack for this movie. It's so great. Uh, we all got it. Yeah. Uh, after watching it, I mean, yeah. it's, and I've been meaning to get it for a while because I I was the only one that had seen uh, the guest before. Um, yeah, it's straight up, straight up bought it. Like, no, if if anything from this film, I do, I recommend the score maybe like a, an ounce more than I recommend the movie. But you should definitely consume both. But overall, I like it a lot. I think it's well paced. I think it's interesting. I think it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and I think if if it does anything, it shows us. Uh, Your next is not a fluke. I haven't seen any of Wingard's earlier stuff. I've seen, you know, the segments he did for the VHS films, and I, I've seen Your next, and I've seen the guest, and uh, this guy's a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he's a hell of an auteur, definitely channeling John Carpenter in this film with the music and the pacing and even the the opening titles. Uh, but man, check it out, listener. I, I I dig the guest a whole hell of a lot. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I would say this. The the movie's not spoiled on rewatches. I did watch it a second time. But I do like the film very, very much. I think it is a near-perfect thriller. It is so much fun uh, to watch and rewatch. It does not um, hold its cards so closely that it feels like the lead is buried. And yet it holds the cards closely enough that it's totally hidden in ways that it should be. And so I find that to be all valuable and worthwhile and a film definitely, definitely worth your time, dear listener. So there you go. Uh, you now know our biases. They are generally pro for the film. Uh, we would love to hear more of your feedback, and we'll give you more information about that in the feedback section. But guys, it's now time to get down to business. It's business. And the business in question, dear listener, is, of course, analysis. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis? And we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a little bit more of a roundtable today. We're going to drop like a bullet line of analysis, and then we're going to have some questions and discussion. So, um, Dalton, what's your bullet point? Well, I, I mentioned this briefly uh, in my in my review of the film, uh, but I think one of the things that makes uh, the guest so interesting is it's not a horror movie, but it is shot paced, scored, uh, everything about it uh, screams horror film and is yet not a horror film at all. And I think that's something that's really fascinating. Uh, again, if if you shoot this movie and you it's David's the protagonist, it is an action thriller. Uh, it's just an action movie, honestly, if it's from David's perspective. If you shoot this a different way, it's still an action movie. Uh, same, you know, same script and everything, but if, if you shoot it, score it, cut it differently it turns into something else entirely. And I think that's something that's really interesting and shows a lot of uh, Adam Wingard's talent is his ability to basically not make a horror movie and then turn it into a horror movie uh, through post-production and th- and through uh, cinematography choices uh, and, and through editing and scoring and all those wonderful things. 
but again, yeah, on the surface, it is an action thriller, but it oozes with dread and it oozes with foreboding, uh, which is something you expect more from a horror film. And that's something I, I find fascinating. And again, the the score plays a lot into that. The camera shots, uh, reaction shots from David play into that a lot, which there are so many great reaction shots from him. They're just hysterical. But there are you know shots of him just sitting on his bed, staring off into the foreground. Um, that really, and then the music choices to him sitting and uh, looking for boating. Uh, I, I mean, again, I, I just find it fascinating how you can take a script that on paper probably doesn't read like a horror movie and turn it into a horror movie. And I think that's a really fascinating thing about the guest. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolan Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your bullet points? The only analysis that I really want to bring is just looking at it uh, from a filmmaking standpoint. I think uh, it serves as a, another case study and is kind of independent renaissance and horror thrillers that we've kind of seen over the last few years. Um, namely kind of brought on by Ty West and Adam Wingard, birthed out of the mumble uh, core uh, genre, subgenre that's kind of become a big thing in independent filmmaking. Uh, and you see this kind of tied in uh, with Ty West and Adam Wingard's work. Uh, they're usually using a same rotating cast of actors, uh, similar scoring methods, similar editing methods, uh, very unique takes, subverting different genre tropes. Uh, see it played out a lot in your next and the innkeepers. And so they're just, they're kind of taking different genres and different approaches and really doing new things or unique things with them, such as the kind of genre thing, uh, Dalton mentioned here where we, uh, take the tropes of one genre, the horror film and apply them to that of the action thriller. And so, I think that's really cool. We see similar actors. We see uh, the father here um, who takes the main role in the the indie thriller Fault um, or Faults. And he just does a really good job. We also see the, uh, the main military man here uh, who has a similar, who has a role in Faults as well. Uh, we have the, the female character here, Anna, uh, the actress, uh, as Alex mentioned earlier, she's also in It Follows, which also has a similar score and a similar style and visual aesthetic as this. And so we kind of see these, these films all working together and playing together to kind of create this new breed of horror film and thriller, uh, that's kind of permeating up out of the independent scene. And it's adding some legit, uh, longevity, some legitimate, uh, values to those films and not everything's just kind of throwaway B more, uh, throwaway B horror stuff. They're doing some really, uh, fun things. And I, I really am excited for the future. Looking forward to Adam Wingard's next thing. Looking forward to seeing the sacrament tie West for October. Um, and all these other kind of movies that play together. It follows, um, faults creep, just a lot of fun stuff happening in the independent horror. And I think that's all kind of coming back to Wingard and Ty West. And uh, I, I like that a lot. That's what I would like to highlight right now. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what bullet points have you? A uh, quick little bullet point analysis here. Uh, basically, this movie is a critique of uh, the American military complex and industry, as well as um, the lack of oversight on specific contractor-type arrangements from uh, the Department of Defense. Absolutely. I think there's also something, Alex, to be said for the treatment of uh, veterans, post-return home from combat. Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you today, was the fact that throughout this film, you'd never get this true sense of David is 
David's the, the antagonist, yes. But even though he's the antagonist, is he the bad guy? And I think the answer is no. And it's because the man is clearly suffering from severe mental problems. Like, if this... I know it's a little more dramatic because, you know, portraying someone with PTSD um, in a thriller is maybe not as sexy as portraying them as a super soldier. Yeah, as a computer, as a, you know, a Manchurian candidate-esque brain wiped. I mean, uh, or Captain America gone terribly wrong. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. He even oh, looks like Captain America. That is what America. this is. Mm. He does kind of look like Chris Evans. But yeah, I mean, even uh, Lieutenant Daniels from The Wire says that, you know, once he meets up with the kids, he couldn't stop now even if he wanted to. Exactly. I mean, he, the or later you get in the film, like, you just start to feel kind of sorry for him. I, I do myself, like, because I'm like, he was, he was made to be this way. And I think that so frequently we forget whenever soldiers come back from, you know, overseas, that they were made to be trained killers. They were made to react in certain scenarios and have certain defensive reactions. Now, I mean, I don't think I can excuse such crazy graphic acts of violence. Absolutely not. I mean, we have laws for a reason. However, if we aren't doing anything to make that transition of a soldier into civilian life easier, I'm surprised we don't have more of these uh, reported type sleeper cell accidents happening where someone is suffering like David is suffering or someone is suffering from like legitimate P- PTSD. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. The one thing I want to point out is sort of the homoerotic tendency of the film. And uh, what's going on here is uh, the relationship between um, Daniel and Luke. I f- uh, David, David, I keep calling, want to call him Daniel. I don't know why. I started it. And his real name is Dan. Okay, that's probably why then. But um, David and Luke, uh, there is something going on there between the two. Of course, his homosexuality is implied throughout the film. And the way the camera sort of ogles his body. Now, it certainly ogles the body of Anna as well, the uh, the actress from It Follows. Oh, most definitely. But Well, the first shot of her is... Those uh, fucking socks. Yeah. Well, it was, it was very highs. reminiscent of um, last October when we looked at Lords of Salem. And uh, Sherry, I thought Moon, that too. Sherry Moon Zombie. The, the first shot of the movie is her in bed in her underpants. And uh, I, I must say right now, Anna Wingard has got a thing for women in stockings, and I approve. But uh, that, that being said, uh, there's a thing going on there. But there's definitely a, a sort of a voyeuristic looking at David, and it feels like a vaguely homoerotic film made by a heterosexual male. And uh, so there's something going on there as well within uh, the nexus that is the film. And so I just want to point that out and uh, say that before we move into our discussion. The first question I have to ask is, what is this film exactly saying, precisely saying, dear uh, dear co-hosts, about uh, the nature of war and the nature of dehumanization of soldiers? Go. I certainly think, I mean, it has a negative view of that. I mean, David is portrayed in a fairly sympathetic light. Again, it's not until uh, over halfway into the, well, probably about halfway into the movie that we know for sure that he is a menace. Um, Again, film choices, scoring choices, uh, all lend us to believe there's something going on that we don't fully know about yet. Uh, And then he kills the guys at the the gun deal. uh, And... um, uh, He he kills uh, Joel Murray, I think is his name, and Ethan Embry, uh, two actors who don't get enough work that I absolutely love. But he kills them at that gun deal, and, and that's the point where we're like, okay, yeah, David's fucked up. Like, he's already beaten a couple of guys up at this point. Um, 
and then the view we get of these military contractors of just trying to keep this hush hush and I mean, flying, you know, 100 miles and get, getting every mercenary in 100 miles together to come kill David. Uh, there, there's certainly a view of them not wanting to take responsibility for their own actions. They created David, and instead of trying to help him and fix him, they're going like, well, we got to we gotta swipe this under the, under the rug and make sure nobody finds out about it because it's our ass. If, if they do, they're going to pull our funding. I really have to agree with Alex uh, in, from her analysis earlier, uh, the bullet points that she made. I think this movie does really... Uh, just kind of condemn uh, military, uh, the way certain things are handled, certain operations, the way soldiers are handled and uh, cared for and treated uh, on their way home. And I think Alex just kind of raised some really good points about that earlier. Uh, Alex, did you have anything else to add uh, on that subject? I think that it is just discussing that we, we, make these people like we make entities that end up you know being cannon fodder and and it's just i mean it's it's sad and i think it's a it's a critique and i don't think unlike the raid or other action movies of recent note i don't feel like there's the same notes of kind of glorifying this violence and and i think it maybe it's because it's cut and shot as a thriller now that's actually kind of an interesting question if i may ask this totally off the top of my head question between what are the key differences between an action film and a a thriller film since we have touched on that briefly is it the fact that the way the violence is presented or the suspense i think it has to do with um when violence happens. I mean, with the raid, you know, which we did last week, it's action kickery throughout. Um, with a film like The Guest, it happens in fits and starts, and it's very quick, and then it's over. Um, and I, I think w- with the raid, the action is meant to um, sustain your interest throughout, whereas with The Guest, it's meant to give you peaks and valleys in your interest. The suspense builds to something violent happening, and when the violence happens, it's very startling and shocking, and then it's over almost as quickly as it started. I find the action film that there is sort of an inevitability of the violence, that um, you've got a good man in a bad situation, and it's all he can do, or, and it's always a he, it seems like, overwhelmingly, although there are she examples. But it's, it's only, the only thing a person can do in that situation. In this particular film, I do feel like it does – and, and the thrillers in general does complicate the violence a little bit. It, it does try as best it can to humanize David. Mm-hmm. Um, he does seem to be a victim of his own circumstances. And so what I find in the film to be interesting is that it, it's efforts to humanize him as someone who's programmed, who has who acts, as Dalton said earlier, upon muscle memory in, in certain situations and, and, and what have you. That Although for David, it's almost uh, you know neuro memory because he, he intentionally instigates some of the events that happen. Correct. But it seems like he, he can't help but do it. Right. And so I find that what the film begins to suggest, uh, interestingly suggests, is that we're dealing with human beings who have been deprogrammed from their humanity. And I find that David is somehow trying to 
latch on to his lost humanity in a way um, through the family, through the family, and and then still begins to find himself unable to do so, which I find to be quite um, congruent to the experiences of people who come back from war who are suffering from post post traumatic stress disorder, and they're they're trying best they can to sort of function in society and in in some ways find that to be extraordinarily difficult in David's case impossible. Yeah, and and that makes sense to me because this film easily could have not ended that way. I think David would have still acquired those guns and maybe killed those dudes, but like I things wouldn't have escalated I don't think to maybe that ser- serious of a degree if what's her doodle hadn't called the base on him, which was kind of the inciting incident for him yeah. going reverting back to his programming. So, yeah, there's a possibility that th- this film ends with uh, the family happier. I mean, still people killed. Yeah, to make people would have been dead and her boyfriend probably would have still been in jail. But, you know, you know, he wouldn't have blown up a diner. Probably. Probably not. And killed their parents. Very, very good. Thank you very much. Okay, I don't think we can discuss this film without discussing the gaze in terms of its objectification. And the question I have to ask, is Anna's character objectified uh, by virtue of the gaze, or does she do anything at all to subvert that suggestion? I think something that's interesting is that the gaze cuts both ways, um, and that the camera ogles both David and Anna. Um, I, I feel like... Anna, I mean, the the film rests on her. She is our protagonist. Uh, I mean, a a lot of the posters have her uh, as opposed to David. The better posters, I would say, um, feature her. Uh, The cover for the soundtrack is is her in this neon kind of lit thing, um, which is one of the early posters for the film. So I I wondered. I I don't think that inherently just because she's our protagonist makes it better, uh, washes away that the camera does, uh, you know, view her in in that male gaze way of that very uh you know look at her legs look at her butt look how look how attractive she is hey guys look are you guys paying attention um yeah i don't, I don't know dustin i i don't think it does a good i i think that might be a strike against the film is that it doesn't really do anything to subvert its use of the gaze that i can see uh, other than the fact that it it gazes david in, in very much the same way yeah and i think a I think, I guess it's a good start that, you know, the gaze is reciprocal on our two, you know, main characters of the film, essentially. But just because the the gaze is, you know, heterosexually equal in both directions, does it mean... Well, I would, I would go as far as to say the gaze is sexually fluid. But yeah, yeah that doesn't necessarily... Does, yeah, just because it does look at him too doesn't mean it's like oh well then it's a-okay you know i I think it's just using the gaze because it's interesting i don't but i don't because it that's what you do in a film like this and i I think the most subversive and interesting thing it does is that shirtless scene with david for my money it feels like it attempts to equalize the gaze um at um david although wingard is a heterosexual male and i i feel like in some degree it fails to, to give him the same level of gaze, uh, the same sort of objectifying gaze. It, 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 to an extent, although we, we feel her suffering and we feel her sadness um, at the loss of her parents, for instance, and uh, again, the sort of betrayal that this man has come into their home and he's not who he pretends to be. Um, I, I feel like there is a greater effort to humanize David 
by far than there is to humanize Anna, and that Anna is mostly eye candy for the viewer, and uh, also um, her her close friend, I believe Kristen is her name. Is that right? I think so. And uh, they 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 serve only as um, bodies for us to watch. Yeah, uh, on the point of Kristen, I'm glad you brought that up because I was about to dovetail into that. If we think about the party uh, sex scene with David and Kristen. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Like she. So if you guys recall, um, she's on she's on top and she's in her skivvies. And David is, I think, clothed now. It's been. He, he is clothed. Fully, yeah, he's fully and clothed. She, and she's like. She makes a, a comment alluding to him not being erect. Yeah, because she's like, oh, you're not into it. And then. You know, he does like kind of a regressive maneuver and he positions himself to be on top. And then she's like, oh, there you are. You know, so it's just like obviously demonstrating to us like he has like, you know, power play issues with, you know, Mm -hmm. throughout his life and control stuff. But then through the going back on the gaze thing, I mean, I do find it interesting that we have this sex scene and we never get a look at his goodies but we get full eye of her goodies another interesting point is yeah we we, we see her uh, topless and then david uh, shoots her in the boob yes correct right in the boob which is disturbing to say the very least yes so um there's something problematized there with all of that let's talk about for just a moment if you will um dear co-hosts uh luke and luke's sexuality particularly the use of hate crimes as a way to avoid Expilation and then suspension. Yeah, uh, I. Uh, what do we think about that? I'm fascinated by the, that part of the movie because Luke never says he's gay, ever, and Luke never does anything f- for us to to make us think he's gay. The only reason we think he's gay is because David says he's gay, and his and then Luke's mother doesn't, you know, protest that point. Um, I think it's very interesting. Now. I, David's uh, relationship with Luke uh, could be seen through a couple of lenses. Uh, Luke could either be very attracted to him uh, sexually, or Luke could just be, you know, looking at him as, you know, David has come in and replaced his older brother. And David is kind of giving him these older brother lessons about, like, you know, don't let anybody screw with you. Whatever they give to you, give it back to them twofold. Like, whatever happens, you you come out on top over these guys. Um and I, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I don't know that Luke is gay. Um, I, I love that scene where he he uh, makes what happened to Luke be a hate crime by saying that Luke is gay and then gets him out of expulsion. I think it's a hilarious scene because it is played for comic effect. Watching the principal squirm at the mention of lawyers and uh, media and being like, okay, 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 he's not expelled. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. Do you guys think Luke is gay? I. I don't, and uh, I I kind of see it. I don't really. There's no evidence to demonstrate that he is, but I do find it kind of reassuring that this movie also kind of says it's okay to be gay because yeah. he. Whenever that happened, and like whenever they call him like excuse me a faggot and all this stuff, like they, which is typical high school boy, right? Yeah, of vocabulary. course. Like, Absolutely. But at the same time, like, there is no big assertion of, like, I'm not gay. I don't like dudes. Like, there's never, like, this big yeah. emotional reaction. And whenever uh, David does his shtick in the principal's office and, you know, we all find out about that 
we don't get a, a scene from Luke reacting to now I'm I'm gay for the entire school. Like nobody or 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 Luke's mom. Yeah, not, she's why did you do that? Luke's not gay. Or I, yeah, Luke is gay. I'm so glad you stood up for him for standing up for himself. Yeah, it's it's uh, nebulous at best. Yeah, yeah. and I don't. And again, I, I think you're right, Alex. With something that is good about it is it isn't a big deal. Yeah, it's portrayed as it, no big deal. Exactly. I like the way that whole thing is. It, it is kind of out of left field, uh, bringing up his sexuality. And I think the the way they play it for the comic beat is really funny. I like, as Dalton and Alex mentioned, that nobody overreacts or it's not this huge deal. But what I think it does is this is interesting play uh, as a character development tool for uh, David and adding another layer to him and his mystery and just what kind of things he's willing to do the routes he'll take, uh, the way he looks at the world, the way he knows how to manipulate systems. And I think in that regard, it adds a lot to his character alone, as well as providing an interesting comic beat and just adding another layer to the story. And so I I, I don't necessarily know uh, whether or not Luke is gay. Um, and I like that the movie doesn't really care about that. And so I, I think it's just another another interesting layer to Wingard's work here. Well, what I find to be interesting is um, sort of the uh, assumed heterosexuality that cinema tends to take of all its characters unless it's particularly... Unless otherwise stated. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what we find here is that there's no reason to believe he's not gay. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. and so it, it does a thing where it just happens to be the circumstances uh, of Luke and his existence. And I find that to be really interesting. And we also keep on just talking about word being really binary, either you're gay or you're not gay. I mean, there are many types of sexualities along the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we never, you know, like the thing is because Luke tra- um, presents himself like a heterosexual male, like he is not obviously a transgendered male or anything like that. It has no, uh, flamboyant tendencies yeah you know, bec- the one of his bullies does suggest he wants to be transgendered oh yes. that's true but but again that's you're right there's nothing to suggest other than what the bullies say to him and what david says about him there's nothing to suggest his sexuality one way or the other right and so because he's heterosexual presenting like we just yeah you're right i mean film assumes hetero- yeah. heterosexuality unless otherwise well, like culture at large yeah, uh, presumes well, too. Uh, heterosexuality unless otherwise stated exactly and then you know in and enjoying you know people of the dominant sexuality will enjoy the privileges and those who you know can fly under the radar you know if if luke is gay which he, it's or bi or whatever he could hypothetically be um, you know, he does, the bullying happens whenever he, someone wants to not extend him the privileges of the, the dominant sexuality. Like they're trying to marginalize him, marginalize him, exactly other him, put him in a category that, you know, you're not like us, you know, you shouldn't be able to enjoy these privileges, um, which is totally bogus and terrible, but, um, so that's just kind of an interesting thing about film and just, I guess, society at large. It just, we just assume, and then we also kind of, when we get outside of our larger assumptions, we tend to assume two categories, very black and white. Well, there you go, dear listener. I think you now know um, some very, very interesting aspects of the film. Uh, we now come to a point in the show where we must render a verdict. 
Um, I, I think, as you know now, um, the film is definitely worth conversation, worth thought, but now is it worthy of your shelf and uh, being owned by you, the dear listener? I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? This is definitely a shelfer for me. I will put this on the shelf and with your next. Uh, I own your next, and it was a great purchase. And so I, I plan to add the guest at some point as well. Else, I would suggest... Um, I think the Terminator, the original Terminator, would be a fun pairing here. I think that would work kind of well with this. I would also suggest checking out um, Faults. As I mentioned in my analysis, Faults would be a fun one to pair here. As well as Creep, uh, which does some interesting things with found footage and horror and bringing uh, uninvited guests into your house and that whole thing. I think it works uh, well here as well. So check those out and and do a little marathon there. I ask you, Miss Alexander Bohannon, shelf or trash, else or instead? Uh, I would say this is a shelfable movie. I'd say that I would purchase said movie and I would definitely watch this movie again. I do like uh, Mr. Wingard's work, um, the two movies I've seen of him, this and your next, um, which is going to be one of my other, my else's, of course. Your next definitely pairs well with this, especially with that homage as we run through the um, Halloween uh maze thing at the school mm-hmm. there's your next painted on the wall in the same font and then some guy was wearing one of the yeah, when, when animal they're, masks they're playing cards at the party and he's wearing yeah. the fox mask yep um so definitely would recommend that and um if you also want a just another um kind of thriller with a little bit of a different bend to it um i would check out American Psycho as well. Um, They don't have a lot of this... I think there'd be an interesting tonal contrast to each other because because they they don't necessarily have a lot in common besides the fact that lots of stabbing and lots of um, mauling happens, but I feel like the two two people perpetrating the stabbing, um, they come from very different places in doing so. Um, and so it'd be really interesting to kind of contrast those two films together. Thank you very much, Mr. Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Alex, did you have a final rating for that before we okay. move on? I would give I would give this film uh, 99 possible um, grenades out of a possible uh, 112. Very, very good. What do you say now, Dalton? Yeah, I, I think this is absolutely a shelfable movie. Before it was streaming on Netflix, I went out of my way to see it. Um, right now, it's very easy for you to see it because it's streaming on Netflix. But should it not be, I think you should still make a point to go and see it uh, to get your hands on it because it is uh, It was one of the best movies of 2014, hands down. I absolutely adore it. If I had seen it in 2014, I probably would have put it in my top ten. Uh, I like it that much. I want to give this movie seven uh, facefuls of peppermint schnapps and Tabasco sauce out (laughs) of a possible nine. I would agree with Alex. You should certainly check out your next. Uh, If you like this film at all, uh, definitely pair it with your next. Uh, If you liked your next, pair it with the guest. Uh, You should also check out It Follows from this year, which uh, shares a leading actress. Yeah, so uh, Has a very similar synth-heavy poppy score that uh, is just great. Uh, Really... um, this is very clearly uh, an homage to the work of John Carpenter. Um, Halloween has already been mentioned. It would be great pairing. Um, you could also pair it with uh, Assault on Precinct 13, which is kind of an action thriller uh, and one of John Carpenter's very early films. Um, but, yeah, that, that lineage of late 70s, early 80s uh, 
synth heavy uh, thrillers, I, I think would be really great to kind of pair with this film for historical context. I'm also going to go ahead and say Shelf. I think it's definitely worth your time and definitely worth owning and watching. It's currently available. It will not always be so. And it's definitely a film I would say you need to see. Um, what I would say in terms of your else's is I would recommend yet another film in which we have a character where we're not, we're not sure that we need to be sympathetic to until the very end. And that is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho uh, nice. with Tony Perkins. Yeah. Uh, doing a Absolutely. great term. And, I, and it does feel like the actor is doing the same thing in that particular film. Um, as far as rating goes, I'm going to give this film um, 85 and three quarters synth heavy scores out of a possible 96. And nice. uh, I like it very, very much. Dear listener, what do you think about this film? How do you like it? Do you like it at all? What do you think about it? And uh, what would you like to say to us? And you can do all those things via that magical means that we know as social media. Miss Alexander Bohannon, do you know anything about social media means by which the conversation can be continued? I sure do. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. So um, I'm on I'm on Facebook giving it a look see. Um, it doesn't look like there really is any new uh, comments or anything on our materials. So um, I'm sad about that actually um because last week we just blew up but this week we're we're getting a lot of uh reaches and post clicks and everything but nobody's talking to us so um don't forget about us you know don't you forget about me thank you very much mr alexander bohannon mr dalton stewart you know anything else about social media means dustin those kids at school are they bigger than you yes then take your phone to school make fun of them on twitter if they take your phone off you and beat you up you go around their houses at night and burn them down with their families inside. What's the worst they can do? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. I love how Luke doesn't think or doesn't really know if that's really advice or some sort of metaphor that he doesn't quite it's, get. It's, he's like, are you making a joke? Am I supposed to really do that? I, I don't understand what's The pen is mightier than the sword. You can always make fun of people on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, once again, you can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. A uh, little bit of love coming in. Uh, Trevor Winfrey uh, gave us a shout-out uh, on top of our Mad Max Fury Road uh, episode, uh, tweeted the link to that show, and said, Hey, you like good movies? Good. Like nerdy conversations about good movies? Great. Do yourself a favor and listen to this. So uh, thanks, Trevor. Uh, we got new followers from Circuit and Breaker, which is a live-action sci-fi series with an 80s retro aesthetic that's currently in production. Also got a follow from Nerd Magazine. That's at Nerd Magazine 00. Uh, new follower in the way of Pincy Richardson, and a new follow in the way of Gian Buford, Burford. Uh, also coming in, a uh, new follower from last week, Andre. I'm sorry, Andre. I think you're Andre Pascal, but I'm not sure. He's at Rant Ramble. He said he's still going through the cast's backlog, but wants to know if we've done the film Bronson. Uh, we've talked about Bronson on the show. We've never done a whole episode over it. No, but we need to. Yeah, because we love it. Um, it's probably too good for this show uh, because it is very arty. Um, we love the films of Nicholas Winding Refn on here. Um, Andre, if you like Refn, you could check out our discussion of Only God Forgives, um, which we don't like quite as much as Bronson or Drive, which comes up a lot, both of which come up a lot in that episode. Um, but yeah, huge fans of Tom Hardy here on the show. Huge fan uh, myself of the film Bronson. 
Uh, we'll, we might get around to doing that someday. Probably have to be a host pick though, just because it's probably too good for the show. And Drive makes a definite, um, excellent else a suggestion with this film as well. With this, I was thinking about that. Trust me, the whole time. Uh, it definitely has a very much a Drive thing going for it, particularly in the uh, beautiful blonde sociopathic hunk of man meat doing all the killing in in both films. Um, we got a little bit more uh, feedback coming in from the Twitter, but uh, that's all I feel like reading. So uh, thanks, thanks everybody. Lots of retweets and favorites and all that good shit. Well, there you go. Now you know how to keep the conversation going. Of course, we love to get those ratings from you at iTunes. If you want to go ahead and give a review as well, we'll read it on the air. If you send us an email, goodtrashhoundercast at gmail.com, we would read that on the air as well. Well, enough of this foolishness, guys. It's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> This week's game is our favorite cinematic wolves in sheep's clothing. That's right. Favorite cinematic wolves in sheep's clothing. Brought to you by The Guest. The Guest. If your house guest can carry two kegs by himself, he might not be 100% trustworthy because he could definitely crush your face. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are your picks? You've already mentioned one of my picks, but it's uh, Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins in the uh, amazing Alfred Hitchcock film Psycho. Norman Bates does it for his mother. Wonderful pistachios. Get cracking. As you mentioned, Dustin, Norman Bates is uh, really a character you're not sure what to make of until the end of the film. Um, And in the unlikely event, you haven't seen a six-year-old movie that basically started slasher films. I won't spoil that for you. Uh, But yeah, he, he definitely is not to be trusted, and you're not entirely sure whether or not the answer to that is yes or no until well into the film. Um, this one, uh, is a break in the Fincher rule, but I, I feel like it applies. Um, the films seven and Zodiac both feature wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, Kevin Spacey shows up real damn early in the film and you don't think anything of it cause it's a throwaway moment and you don't really see him and you barely hear his voice. Um, turns out they should have been looking closer at him all along. And, um, we're led to believe that in his personal life walking about town, he's a very unassuming man, despite the horrible things he does. Uh, in Zodiac, you have the wonderful actor, uh, John Carroll Lynch, um, who just seems to be a, a fairly nebish, uh, blue-collar type guy. But the more our investigators talk to him, the more we they have reason not to trust him. Um, so a little uh, double cheat there from the, uh, the Fincher catalog for you. Last but not least, one of the best wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Uh, which again, you know, really, he's he's not quite wearing sheep's clothing because he's a you know a six foot plus Austrian bodybuilder wearing uh, punk clothes. Uh, but his whole point is that he can walk around uh, human society unassuming uh, before he you know drives a car into the police station and kills everyone. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? With my wolves and sheep's clothing, I'm actually going to pull a couple from television, um, namely. Well, one of them's a mix of TV and cinema, uh, but I, I would say first Dexter Morgan, um, who walks this line uh, very well. Uh, this this you know dark figure who has to masquerade as a normal human being, uh, and likewise I would say Hannibal Lecter, um, who in the movies we see glimpses of this, especially with Red Dragon, uh, where we see him uh, for a few minutes before he's captured. 
but also in the TV show Hannibal, where we go more in depth with his character before he's imprisoned. Um, I think they're both very interesting. Um, another character, uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, in uh, The Voices, where he plays this this character who has a lot of darkness in his in his mind and has a lot of issues, uh, which causes him to do some cr- crazy things, and uh, he tries to lead this normal life outside where nothing really seems to be going on. And, and Reynolds does a really good job with it. I think oftentimes Reynolds is a very underrated actor uh, and in certain roles, he just is phenomenal. And the voices is a good movie. I think that that showcases his talent and it's a, an interesting character. Uh, lastly, I would suggest uh, Jason Bateman from this year's uh, the gift. Uh, now Joel Egerton kind of plays the traditional uh Wolf and sheep's or wolf and sheep's clothing uh, with his character and Gordo is very much that, but also Jason Bateman. Uh, when we realize and understand what's actually going on with his character and who he really is as a person, and it's performed so well by Jason Bateman, and the movie is so good, and I like that a lot, and I think he's just a great uh, wolf in sheep's clothing, especially the way that movie plays out. My pick is um, only one pick, and that is Edward Norton's character in uh, Richard Gere's uh, Primal Fear. Primal Fear, yes. Which is vaguely spoilery for me to say. Excellent, excellent. Alex, do you have a pick? I do. Um, this is hilarious because whenever you were talking about your movie with cousin Kevin Spacey, I was just like, he's not describing the usual suspects. Oh, um, man, yeah. Yeah, so... Good uh, pick. Like, another one of those... Kevin Spacey is a sleeper cell. I'm really sorry if you haven't seen The Usual Suspects. Oh, fuck off. It's a 20-year-old movie. You're yeah, ready to get over I'm it. really sorry. I mean, I'm not spoiling it, but he is not what he seems. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I have not seen that movie in eons. That would Kevin be... Spacey spoiled the end of that movie when he accepted his Best Supporting Oscar nomination. Or, uh, a win, rather oh, than a Oh, yeah. Most yeah. definitely. All right, well, that was a fun game. Well, there you go, dear listener. What are your picks for your favorite cinematic wolves in sheep's clothing? But enough of this. It's now time to conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. The roof! The roof! The roof is on fire! We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn! Burn, motherfucker! Burn! The roof! Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? The only thing I'm really fired up about this week is I uh, decided to check out ABC's How to Get Away with Murder, and I was hooked uh, from the first episode. I binge-watched the entire season this week in preparation uh, for the series premiere, uh, which happened, dear listener, if you're a time traveler, on uh, Thursday, September 24th, um, and so... Hopefully that premiere is really good. Uh, the show does some really fun stuff. Some of it's a little atypical. Uh, it wasn't quite what I was expecting and it kind of, kind of took me by surprise. And so I've really enjoyed it. Viola Davis is just killing it on that show. Uh, Emmy award rightfully earned. And so, uh, check that out. If you get a chance First season's only 15 episodes, it's a quick watch. Um, there's a couple of gimmicks in it in the early half of the season that they play, I think, a bit too much. But overall, I think it's a really fun show and really enjoyable. So check that out if you get a chance. Great, Arthur. I like those picks a lot. Miss Alexander Bohan, are you fired up as well? No. Mr. Dolan Stewart, are you fired up? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, finally finished my rewatch of The Wire. 
And um, every time I watch that show, it makes me so happy, and I can't stop talking for, about it for about three months. Um, but finished my rewatch of The Wire and decided I need more cops and drug dealers in my life. So I checked out the Netflix original series Narcos, uh, which is really solid. I'm about four episodes in, and I like it a lot. It's got uh, Pablo Pascal, uh, who you might know as um, the Red Viper uh, from Game of Thrones, um, just playing a kind of similar character but also very different. Um, I would watch anything that man does because he's amazing. He's a beautiful Latino George Clooney, and he can do no wrong in my book. He's a handsome, handsome son of a bitch. Um, finally, uh, on my way home, I was driving home from Tulsa this weekend, and Tulsa, unlike Oklahoma City, still has an alt-rock station. Um, rest in peace, the buzz. Um, and I just you know, listened to it till I got out of the driving range because I didn't feel like plugging my phone in and heard this song that I cannot stop listening to. Uh, by Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats called S.O.B. I'm on a call by myself with the ashes of you and nobody's gonna give a damn Son of a bitch Give me a drink It is just so much fun. Uh, it is a delightful song, and it does not sound like it was recorded uh, in 2015 uh, or 14, whenever they recorded the album. But uh, a whole lot of fun, and I cannot stop listening to it. Dustin, are you fired up about anything in pop culture this week? Um, there's only really one thing that's gone on for me recently, and that is I got to go to a press screening of Everest. That's right. Dustin, Caleb Masters, and myself got to go see the press screening of Everest. And we actually recorded a special episode just for you guys, so you could go check out our full uh, review slash mini analysis over at uh, goodtrashgenrecast.podbean.com or on iTunes. So go check that out if you're interested in that film. But uh, there you go, dear listener. Now you know what we're fired up about. What are you fired up about? You know what else we're fired up about is the next film, which begins our Shocktober marathon. I'm so excited. We're going to be taking a look at Wormwood. All we know is there is something in the air that's changing people. Get me to Bulla Bulla. Why? Get his sister. You get to see what the adults do after dark. Oi! Can we come inside? There's fucking zombies everywhere! Yeah, okay. She can control zombies! We need fuel. There's no way that could work. There's one way to find out. We need to armor up. Big time. Ready? Born ready. Come on, you dead bastard! The medical box. Open it! Oh, beers! You want a beer, Frank? What do you fucking reckon? Tell me where she is. This crack runs on zombies. No zombies, no crack. It's about the survival of the human fucking race, mate. Hold on! Come on, you zombie! 
You want a zombie? I'll get you a zombie. Sounds like scads of fun. Take a look at that. Take a look at this week's film, and in so doing, have a conversation with somebody because this will make makes watching the film absolutely worthwhile. And until then, dear listener, we'll see you next time. I like it. I, I like the ending because it's kind of a, much like your next. It's kind of a gotcha. I fucked with you kind of ending, which is can be fun. I don't know for some I reason. Feel like it's a misfire. A it, little bit. Exactly. Yep. It falls there. It could be good, but it falls flat. Since we're already in this territory, listener. What? Go ahead, Alex. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was just gonna t- kind of like talk about why I don't I think the ending was good. Okay, I was just. Well, let me real quick. I, Finish for those of you who didn't bother to watch the movie, but you should. Um, so Luke and Anna defeat David uh, within the school's uh, haunted house. Uh, they shoot and stab him and leave him to burn to death as the school's gymnasium is burning down. Um, and we hear police and firefighters saying, yeah, we found two bodies. Uh, there should have been three because uh, David killed two people. And they said something about their teeth being gone. Like they couldn't, they couldn't identify the bodies. And then we see a fireman limping out. Um, and we're like, oh, that's David, isn't it? And then sure enough, we get a tight close-up on Anna, a tight close-up on David through the fireman's goggles. And then Anna goes, oh, holy shit, or something like that. Or you gotta be fucking, said fuck I think her. she says, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yes. Um, which is a f- funny final line. And then boom, cut to black. So, yeah. Bad play. Mis- I, 
Go ahead, Alex. To me, that said that Adam Wingard or whoever on the production squad or anybody, anybody working on this movie. Well, he wrote and directed it. Okay, so I would say that Wingard is did saying... Did he not write it, Dustin? No. The only edit he did not write on this particular film. He just oh. directed and edited it. Correct. Did, 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 okay. Did. Which I think speaks to last week when we were talking about uh, The Raid, which is another film where editing is super important. I think the editing of the guest is super important, and I can definitely see why the director chose to take on that extra responsibility because it is as much a part of the film as anything else. Absolutely, I agree. I would say that the writer or anybody making that ending the way it did, it says that they didn't trust us to figure it out, and I feel mildly insulted because... It could have been like it could have been even just a little bit less ham-fisted because yeah. if so, the firemen, police officer come out. They're like, "Hey, we only found we found two bodies." Blah blah blah, and then we can still cut to Anna, do the same thing close up on her. You got to be fucking kidding me. We just don't need to see David again. I think that ruins the magic, knowing that he's out there somewhere. And like he's alive and he got out somehow and that it's the that intensity and that growing creepiness of the holy shit. Is he going to come after them next? And, you know, everything. I, I just didn't need to. See I think him. on paper, if you describe the ending of this movie to me, I go, oh, that's really cool. But for some reason, uh, the preceding 90 minutes and that last minute and a half just don't mesh well together. Yeah, the, I don't they're know not why. totally because consistent. Because on, on paper, I like that ending a lot, actually. I, I like it as a kind of a, a middle finger to the audience. But for some reason, it doesn't entirely work for me. Dustin, you, you weren't wild about it either, correct? No, I wasn't. And I do feel like it is sort of a violation of trust uh, for the film. It does lose a little bit of the rating for me. But um, again, I, I'm fine with him somehow surviving. Yes. I think. But um, I absolutely do not want to see the guest to Electric Boogaloo ever in the history of ever. But that being said, um, you know, it's 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 fine to somehow say at the end of Friday the 13th, he's still there. That's that's OK. But well, it's it's not even he's still there. It's oh, he is there. Right. Also, the, ending of the original Friday the 13th. How would he have gotten that fireman's uniform? Presumably he killed a fireman and hid the body. And survived being stabbed in the um, you know yeah. midsection. I mean, he got stabbed in the leg, didn't he? He got shot in the midsection, I believe. He got shot in the shoulder and then stabbed in the middle of his chest and also in his back by Luke. That's that's right. Okay. I just need. I didn't need to see that. Yeah. The uh, I'm going to keep talking about this, but the one I love that movie I talked about last week. Yes. They have a subversive ending to that film that totally trusts the viewer, and you're like, oh shit. And and it this this could have had the same ending, not like literally the same ending. But yeah, but, we could. But like a trusting ending. See, I think the movie trusts us. It just, I I, I think it trusted us. It, it it assumes the audience figured out what it was doing, and then went ahead and said, "Oh yeah, we did that. Gotcha. Yeah. Ha. Ha. 